Hello, and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things, a podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you for joining me today. Let's get swinging. Growing up, I took piano and violin lessons. While I love music, as a child, I hated practicing. Nothing new there. I think most people struggle with this, and I know I definitely did. And when you start with the violin, well, it's a painful experience, to be honest. And I'm not just talking about like the calluses that you have to develop on your fingers. I'm talking about the awful screeching sound that strings and bows emit when you can't quite find the right note. Think like Dante's Ninth Circle of Hell. Like, it's, it's in that range. My sister, on the other hand, plays the harp. And let me tell you, listening to her practice as a beginner sounded angelic no matter what she played, whereas my beginning notes sounded like, well... On the other end of the spectrum, hellacious screams. There you go. I said it. It's true. It was not pretty. I don't know. Maybe other people have better luck with their uh, beginning violin lessons, but that's, that's what it was like in my house. I eventually stopped both violin and piano, and I wish I had stuck with it longer, but violin was definitely the bigger struggle. I still have my old violin, and it is tiny now. I think in my head I'd wanted to learn how to fiddle more than the classical violin, and I definitely did not enjoy practicing the instrument and fought against it on the regular, and these days, however, I do wish I'd stuck with it a bit longer, and I daydream about learning how to play it once again. It's in my room, too small for me, but like it looks at me, you know, like at night, I guess. As a kid, I heard stories about my great-grandfather. Well, I guess he would be like my step-great-grandfather. My great-grandmother married him after her first husband passed away. The stories went that he was actually an inventor and contributed to inventing or improving the electric violin. Apparently, he used to carry around a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. But now that I'm doing the research on the violin, we'll see if his name truly does show up in the history books. From fiddling and hoedowns to sweeping classical music and high notes that just make you want to cry, the violin carries such a range of emotion that this moving instrument is very hard to forget even if those emotions are of angry tears, not wanting to practice. So let's get to it. Time to learn about the violin. The violin is also sometimes called a fiddle. It is the smallest and the soprano of the violin family, also known as a wooden cordophone or a stringed instrument. Violins first appeared in the 16th century in Italy, with the word violin coming into the English language in the 1570s, deriving from the Italian word violino, Violino comes from viola, which has Latin roots to vitula, which means stringed instrument, but may have also been derived from the name of the Roman goddess vitula, who was the goddess of joy. The nickname of fiddle for a violin comes from Old English with roots in Dutch, German, and Old Norse. A person who makes repairs to a violin is called a luthier, which also has roots in the French word for lute. Or the person is also called a violin maker, violin maker or luthier, whereas the person who repairs the bow is called an archetier or a bow maker. The very earliest examples we have of stringed instruments generally are found in the lyre. The first bowed instruments were two-stringed and upright and likely originated from nomadic equestrian cultures in Central Asia, with the bow strings being made from horsehair. This would be somewhere around modern-day Mongolia, and would look like the Mongolian Morinkur, also called the horsehead fiddle. 
The Moran Kur is very important to the Mongol people, considered a symbol of the nation and identified by UNESCO officially as one of the masterpieces of the oral and intangible heritage of humanity. In Western Mongolia, it is called an Ikkel, and in Eastern Mongolia, it is called Ashur. And guys, I'm trying my best with my pronunciation here. Google was not helpful when I was looking up Mongolian terms as well as Kazakh terms, which we'll get to here in a second. It gets the nickname of the horsehead fiddle for the shape of the top of the instrument. This part is called the scroll, and it holds the tuning pegs for the two-stringed instrument. The scroll is usually carved into the shape of a horse's head, while horsetail strings are used for the two strings. One string is larger and is considered the male string made of 130 horsetail hairs, while the other is somewhat smaller and considered the female string made up of 105 horsetail hairs. The bow is also made of loosely strung horsetail hairs. The bow is held underhand, which allows the bow hand to tighten or loosen the bowstring while they play, which allows for precise control over the timbre of the music. Traditionally, the frame was covered in sheep, camel, or goat skin. There are a few stories about the origin of the Morin Kur. One is that a shepherd named Namjil the Cuckoo was given a flying horse as a gift. The shepherd would ride the horse to visit the person that he loved. A woman was jealous and one day cut the wings of his horse so it fell to its death. The shepherd grieved the loss of his animal and used the horse's skin and tail to make the horse head fiddle, on which he'd play sad songs about his lost horse. Another story claims that the horse head fiddle was invented by a boy named Suki, or Suho. Suki had a white horse that he loved, but an evil lord killed his horse. One night, the boy's horse came to him in a dream and told him how to make an instrument from its body so that they could still be together, with neither of them being lonely. Variations of this instrument exist among the Eastern Turkic neighbors and in southeastern Europe, suggesting that the instrument may have moved from Central Asia and the Middle East about 40,000 years ago. The modern kur is an instrument that symbolizes peace and happiness. It plays an important role in many festivals and is played during winter and at the beginning of spring. It is played in a ceremony for scaring away the frost. It's also played for dancing and for praise songs. Another interesting role of the Morinkur plays is in the lives of Gobi Desert farmers. Sometimes when a mother camel will give birth, she will reject her calf due to natural stressors. These farmers then use the Mordenkur and low harmonic songs to encourage the mother to accept her calf again. Or if there's a calf that doesn't have a mother, they will use the songs again to encourage a different mother to adopt that calf. Another important early bowed and stringed instrument is the Kazakh Kobits, an instrument from Kazakhstan. Similar instruments were found in Asia, the Middle East, and the Byzantine Empire. These two-stringed instruments were also made from horsehair and had two large cavities, typically covered in goatskin. The instrument was owned and played by shaman, who would use the instrument to drive away death, illness, and evil spirits. Another similar instrument from the same region was the kyokyuk, and could be played on horseback. According to Kazakh legend, the Kobit's instrument was invented by Korkit Atta in an effort to comfort him as he was afraid of death. It's believed that as these types of stringed instruments spread, they were spread by the equestrian peoples who used their horse hair string for both the bows and the strings on their instruments. This led to other stringed instruments, such as the erhu in China and the rebab in the Middle East. 
the Esri in India, and the Era in the Byzantine Empire. Wikipedia has some really interesting stuff here. For the violin and its invention in Italy, many port cities along the Silk Road played an important role. The Arabic Rebab, in particular, is a direct ancestor and heavy influence on the modern-day violin. The violin was also influenced by the European Rebek. By the 16th century in northern Italy, the earliest form of a modern-day violin could be found, with the earliest depiction of the instrument found in about 1530, albeit with only three strings at the time as opposed to the current four strings. By 1556, there were written descriptions of the instrument, as well as instructions for tuning it, found in Epitome Musical by Jean de Fer. And at this time, the violin had spread across Europe. The earliest known violin makers are both from northern Italy, with Andrea Matti from Cremona and Gasparo di Bertolotti from Salon, Gasparo di Salon. The violin was popular among the royal courts as well as out on the streets among the Commonwealth. One of the oldest violins still in existence is the Charles IX. The instrument grew in prestige, and the best luthiers or violin makers became world-renowned. Some of these include the Inverardi family, the Rogeri family, the Stradivari family, Santo, Serafin, and many others. The highest price paid for a Stradivari violin comes in at 15.9 million US dollars. In June of 2011, the violin known as Lady Blunt was sold to Teresio Auctions. The construction of a violin is particularly precise, and the perfection of the instrument influences its worth as well as its sound. The violin is made of spruce, maple, and sometimes other woods. Ebony is typically used for the fingerboard. Everything from the shape to the varnish affects the sound of the instrument. Animal hide glue is used to construct the instrument because of some of the glue's unique properties, which also include its ability to make thinner joints, as well as its ability to be taken apart when done carefully using pressure and hot water. It can also be glued onto itself, which protects the violin from losing some of the wood, because typically you would have to um, sand down the glue and you'd lose some of the wood that way. But because animal hide glue can be glued to itself, it saves some of the wood. The first strings of the violin were usually made from sheep gut. Although it's called cat gut, despite not being, well, from actual cats, these days gut strings aren't as common, and we have more metal strings. Some violinists, however, will use gut strings in an effort to achieve a very specific sound for Baroque pieces. The violin is popular for classical music, country, jazz, folk, popular music, and Indian classical music, among many others. Joe Venuti was one of the first jazz violinists. Violins as solo instruments in jazz came onto the scene in the 1920s. The Indian violin is similar to the Western violin, with a key difference being the tuning. It's tuned differently. The position in which the violin is held is also different, with the scroll resting on the foot of the musician as they sit on the floor with their right leg extended. The violin, as well as the Arabic rababa, are also used in Arabic music. Violins were an important part of the stringed instruments used in Motown and disco in the 1960s and 70s. The use of violins in popular music started to decline a bit in the 80s with the rise of synthesized sound, but violins have since come back onto the scene, and you can even hear it in rock music, with the Dave Matthews Band, The Flock, Yellow Card, and many more at the beginning of the 20th century. I think my first experience with hearing a violin in a rock band in person was when Kansas performed Dust in the Wind for our hometown celebration. It was haunting and beautiful, and I loved it. When it comes to folk music, we stumble upon the nickname of the fiddle for the violin. Here, folk music differs from classical music in techniques used by musicians, as well as the purpose. 
as most folk music was considered dance music and was often passed down from musician or family member to musician as part of a legacy of an oral tradition. Music would be memorized and passed down. It wasn't really written on paper. And finally, we come back to the electric violin. We circled back. The electric violin has a magnetic or piezo electric pickup that picks up the vibrations of the strings and converts them into an electric signal. With electric violins, you can also have electroacoustic violins that still have the full body of the violin and can be played and heard acoustically, independent of a broadcasting app or a PA system. These days, electric violins can have more strings than the usual four. There are some with five strings or even seven strings. On the seven-stringed violin, the lower three strings cover the cello's notes. Electric violins were first used by jazz fusion musicians. One of the first to use the electric violin was Stuff Smith. You can hear a recording of him playing one in his song, Use a Viper, from 1920. The first electric violin was built in about 1928 and was made by Victor Feil, Oscar Fierling, George Eisenberg, Benjamin Meissner, George Bouchamp, Hugo Benioff, and Frede Kisslingberry. Unfortunately, my great-grandfather's name is, like, not on that list. He was not one of those people. Although his obituary does state that he worked on the electric violin. He was a scientist with the General Electric Company, a Rotarian, and according to the obit in the 1930s, he invented an electric violin. I've never seen his invention, but I hope I can keep digging and learn just a little bit more. Perhaps he didn't do it. Perhaps in his mysterious briefcase, he just carried around a stack of really delicious brownies. Or maybe it was his plans for his violin. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll find out. Now, before we send you off, here are a few more fun facts about the violin. First off, Playing the violin burns about 170 calories an hour. I don't know how fast you have to play for that, but that's cool. I mean, what would happen if you like ran and played the violin? Well, we'll find out because there is a record for playing a violin while cycling backwards. You didn't know that there was that kind of record, did you? I didn't either. I didn't even know that I needed to know, but now I need to know. And the record for cycling backwards while playing the violin is for 60 and a half kilometers or 30 and a half miles in five hours and eight seconds. I really wish I had seen that. It would have been amazing. Another fun fact, the largest violin in the world was made in Germany and took 15 violin makers. It stands at 4.27 meters tall and 5.22 meters wide. That's about 14 feet tall and just over 17 feet wide. And the last fact, it takes 70 different pieces of wood put together to craft a violin. Pretty fun stuff. If you started learning music as a child, it's also supposed to have helped with your cognitive and motor skills. So whether it be an instrument that helped Sherlock solve his latest case, or a means to hit the high notes of a swelling orchestra, or get our feet dancing, violins have made the world much better, even for those of us who hated practicing. And I've got to say, I'm grateful for the violin. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a marvelous day.